Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. That's where we're going to start. Now, we are now going into the fruit of the Spirit. And like a lot of scriptures, the fruit of the Spirit is one that is just butchered, hammered, and generally taught in the wrong way. People who are well-meaning, people who, who, who even love Jesus, just can't get their mind around what Paul is teaching right here and teach it in a backwards way. And what that results in is people who feel condemned. It results in people who feel burdened. It results in people who are no more set free than a non-Christian or a non-Christ follower. And as we read the Bible, realize that, that you know, Christ is the truth that sets us free, that he has come to break the chains of sin and death, that the bondage that we've been under because of sin and Satan and because of, of, of our, just our flesh and our, the human nature that we have, that he has come to break that. And then at some point, our life, that it won't get perfect, our life won't get easy, but it should be free or it should be uh, free of, of, of condemnation. It should be free of, of guilt. It should be free of, of um, pursuing our flesh rather than sin or Satan or death. And so we, all we want to do is we want to go through this today. We want to correctly teach it, maybe look at some of the pitfalls of this scripture, and then move forward in it so that we as Christians will bear the fruit of the Spirit. Now, have you ever planted anything? I have, and I'm horrible at it. Everything I've ever planted has died. I've grown a few tomatoes. You can't, like, tomatoes are almost impossible to mess up, and I got, like, four, which is probably the least amount of tomatoes. Uh, people are snickering because usually you throw, a, you know, some tomato seeds in the ground or you plant a plant, and you have so many tomatoes, you feed the whole neighborhood on them. Like, everybody's making stuff out of tomatoes. Not me. I got four. That was probably the most successful thing I've ever grown. But you don't start with the fruit, do you? You don't start with a tomato. You don't start with a banana. You don't start with an apple. What do you start with? A seed. Now, it comes from those things, but it looks nothing like those things. An apple seed looks nothing like an apple, does it? A banana seed, if many of you don't even know there's seeds in that thing because you don't even see them. You just, you know, you just hork down the banana and you're done. Strawberry seeds don't look like a strawberry. Tomato seeds don't look like a tomato. Now, what if you were to go to a farmer and ask him how to, to teach you how to get a tomato or an apple or a strawberry or an orange? Um, if he handed you a tomato, you have the end result, but you don't know how you got there. There's no map. There's no beginning. There's no middle. You've got the end, but that's it. When it comes to the fruit of the Spirit, often people teach, oh, just have love. Just have joy. Just have peace. Okay, you've given me the fruit, but how do I get there? You, you've given me the apple, the orange. You've given me the love, the peace, but I don't know how to get to that place right there. How does that start there? In the same way that an orange or an apple starts with a seed that looks nothing like the end result, the fruit of the Spirit starts not with the end result, but it starts with the beginning. It starts with the Holy Spirit. So start in verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. 
sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Notice that in the eyes of God that the, that the plane of sin is level. Everything from fits of anger to sexual immorality are all on the same plane. Sin is sin. And for those who are, who are frequent liars, they are in danger of the fires of hell as much as any other person. Those who steal, those who murder, those who envy, those who have uh, fits of anger, not just anger in and of itself, but fits of uncontrolled, unbridled anger. Like you open up the door and it barely hits your car and people just fly off the handle at you. That's a fit of anger. That's not righteous anger. But these are all on the same playing field. These are all, in the eyes of God, all sin. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against these things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Where we get this wrong is, don't do this, do this. You ever seen the book, don't eat this, eat that. They tell you, like, don't eat something really delicious, eat something that tastes like cardboard. And you say, yeah, this is delicious for a reason, I'm going to eat this. But the idea is just substitute the good for the bad. It doesn't deal with the real issue, though. Many of us, myself included, are, I mean, I'm overweight because of bad choices. I get that. But, but just changing the foods I eat generally doesn't make me lose weight because I haven't dealt with the real issue. For folks who would teach you, don't sin, just do good things, they don't deal with the issue of our flesh and its desires. And I'm here to tell you, to preach to you through the word of God, that if we are to, to kill sin in our flesh, then we must attack the flesh. If we are to produce the fruits of the Spirit, then we have to allow the Spirit to sow into us himself. The fruits of the Spirit are a byproduct of the Holy Spirit indwelling in us, or, or dwelling in us, being, being, being filled with Him. And, and the, the, the works of the flesh are the exact same thing, just being filled with something else. Drunkenness and envy and malice and murder and, and, and sexual immorality, which is a big phrase. If you want to know what sexual immorality is, it's easier to define it by what it's not. Sexual, immor sexual immorality is not a husband and a wife who love each other exclusively and have sexual relations with themselves exclusively, who love each other monogamously and, and fully committed to one another. Everything outside of that is sexual immorality. So if you have a husband who strays and commits adultery, that's sexual immorality. If you have a husband or, or a wife who engage in pornography, that's sexual immorality. Single or married, it's still sexual immorality. So things like uh, polygamy, polyamory, homosexuality, bisexuality, trisexuality, bestiality, these things are all 
in that phrase of sexual immorality, within the marriage covenant of a man and a wife, they are to love one another and to express themselves in that way, but outside of that, no. That's sexual immorality, just as a side note. But all of these things, they are a they are a byproduct of being filled with our flesh. So what we have to do is first recognize that there's a war that is going on inside of us. There is a, a tumultuous, dangerous, fervent war that is happening between our flesh and the Holy Spirit if we are following Christ. I find it so interesting that Satan entices our flesh while Jesus seeks to and fill us and get to the heart of the issue and get right to our heart to, to, to not just attack our desires, but to get to the epicenter of our desires and change everything there. Psalm 34 says that, that God will give you the desires of your heart, that God will, will not just answer every wish you have like a genie in a bottle, but he will change your heart that you desire him rather than sin. And that comes through something we call crucifying the flesh. Crucifying the flesh is not fun. Crucifying the flesh is not popular. But crucifying the flesh is absolutely essential in combating and fighting our flesh. Our flesh, much like Satan, much like death, cannot be flirted with, cannot be reasoned with. We can't have a truce or a treaty. I'll just send a little bit this day and then the rest of the week I'm good. Like, no. It's, it's called to be crucified. Well, how do we do that? As a, as a pastor, and even as Christians, we're guilty of saying things without really knowing what they mean. We might say them in the right context. We might say them and, 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 and mean well, but we don't really know what they mean. So we, we, we want to explain that today. I want to explain that to you today, what it means to crucify the flesh. I'll give you a hint. It's not it's not clean. It's not easy. If, you've, if you understand the crucifixion of Jesus upon the cross, you realize that that was a bloody mess, wasn't it? When Jesus died on the cross, it wasn't just, oh, let's sign a couple of contracts. Let's all get together for a pollock afterwards. No, he, he was beaten and bloodied and destroyed because of sin. Now, he willingly did that so that we could conquer sin in our lives as well. That he would, he would lift himself up in that way that we could be drawn to him. That we too could have hope through him. That, that our end result would not just be a really good sinner, but that we would become a saint of God. Now be, be honest with me. How many people here see yourselves as a saint? Very few of us would admit to that. We might see other people as saints. We might see them as really good people. We might look at what they've done and what they do and how they give and say, wow, those people, they're, they're saintly. They're saints. But when it comes time to reflect, you, you might remember all the things you've done and say, wow, I, I'm, too, I'm too dirty to be a saint. I'm too unclean or impure to be considered a saint of God. Church, if you are in Christ Jesus, if you've been forgiven by the blood he shed on the cross, you are now a saint of God, regardless of how you feel about it. Regardless of, of the emotions attached to it, you are now a saint. You are now a child of God. And that is your position, and that is your place, and that is your identity. Don't, don't fall into the trap, and I see people do this all the time. They fall into the trap of making their identity out of something. 
as as parents with a child who has pediatric cancer we run into so many couples so many parents who 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 then assume that their child is leukemia or some type of cancer and their whole identity gets wrapped up in that their whole identity is found in fundraising. Their whole identity is found in raising awareness or finding a cure or, or, or wearing a bracelet or wearing a shirt. That's their identity. And those things in and of themselves are not wrong. And you're probably saying, we just went over this like 15 minutes ago, how you're doing all kinds of stuff. That's true. But here's the difference. Those are not our identity. Should those things be taken away from my wife and I, we're still children of God. We're not so wrapped up in those things that should they be taken away, we would be devastated. We just want to do good stuff. We just want to, we just put our, want to put our hands to the plow and, and not just be somebody complaining about the problems, but somebody who's helping offer solutions. My identity is not primarily found first in being a dad or a husband or a man. My identity is found in being a child of God because of what Jesus has done, not because of what I do. Some of your identity is found in sin. You've been called a drunk and a liar and a cheat. You've been called uh, a whore. You've been called this or you've been called that. That's not your identity in Christ. The world might see you in a way and try to label you, but that's, that's not who you are. Maybe you've been taken advantage of. You've been sexually abused and you see yourself as that or physically abused or physically hurt and you see yourself as that. That's not who you are. Jesus comes to offer you re real healing today. Jesus comes to offer you a way out of that by giving you his identity. By giving you his holiness, his pureness. We've got to understand that there's a war. There's a battle. The flesh wants something and the spirit wants something. Don't see this necessarily just as good and evil. See this as living and dead. That makes it a lot more serious. Good and evil seems like, you know, some kind of comic superhero where we kind of win, we kind of lose. You know, there's battles and there's good guys and bad guys. See it as living and dead. Call it for what it really is. Outside of Christ, we're dead. Inside Christ or in Christ, we are alive. And, and there's, no, there's no middle ground. There's no zombie Christian. There's no, there's no living dead. Like you're, you're alive in Christ or you're dead in your sins. And once you confess in Jesus and believe and have faith in what he has done on the cross, that he is God, that he has come to earth and died for our sins, that once you put your faith in his completed works, you are now a Christian, you are now made alive in Christ. It's black and white. There's no, there's no middle ground. You're saved or you're not saved. You're Christian or you're not Christian. But this battle is, is real. We would, all of us, if you've ever read anything written by the Apostle Paul, you, you would agree with me that this was one of the greatest men who have ever lived. One of the smartest men who have ever lived. One of the most, uh, most uh, Christ-centered men who have ever lived. Here's the way he puts it in Romans chapter 7, verse 15. For I do not understand my own actions. Now, he's, he's talking about that battle within him between sin and flesh and the Holy Spirit. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not, for I do, not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. 
So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Verse 24 says, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Can you for a moment, before I continue, can you, can you put yourself there in Paul's mind? There's something I know to do, but I don't do it. And there's something that I shouldn't do, but I end up doing that. And I want one thing, but my flesh wants another. My innermost man desires to do what is right, but, but it seems as though my body is just going to, to be in control and do whatever I want. And his only conclusion at the end of that is, is wretched man that I am. Oh, it's horrible in here. It's, this, this war is just, ah, oh, there's people being taken captive and my mind is exploding and it's just a battlefield in there. Wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Verse 25, thanks be to God through Jesus our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Jesus is the one who has delivered us. Through his death, burial, and resurrection, sin has been conquered. The chains that sin once held upon our wrists and feet that, that shackled us to it have been broken. That any, any stronghold, any, any hand that Satan may have had in your life has now been broken through the, 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 the sacrifice of God's only son. Romans 8 and 5 says, For those living according to the flesh set their minds on, one th on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. You see, when we look at the fruits of the Spirit and say, let's just do that. We're in danger because we haven't changed the real issue. We haven't fought the battle within us. We haven't recognized that there is a battle. And when we look at the, the sin that we've committed and we say, I just got to stop doing that. We haven't affected the part of our body or the part of our, our, our being that wants to sin in the first place. And if we do try and attempt to do those things, all we do is just, is just we wear our self-righteousness. And the Bible says that hangs on us like filthy rags. That our own self-righteousness, our own self-holiness, our own self-anything is like filthy rags hanging on us before God. That the holiness and pureness that God wants is perfect. And you can't, you can't manufacture it in your own self. You need Christ to do that in you through the Holy Spirit. So, what I don't want you to do is focus on those two things. Don't make a list of the fruits of the Spirit and say, okay, these are the things I have to do. All you will do is become religious and... and and nobody will want to hang out with you anymore. Because I don't know about you, but if you've ever hung around with a religious person, it gets old really quick. But if you set your mind on Christ, if you set yourself towards him, if you fix your eyes upon Christ through his word, through prayer, through church, if you will do that, you will begin, through the Holy Spirit working in you, begin to produce these things like love and peace. But because... People who aren't Christians know how to love, right? 
I mean, if you're if you're here and you had parents that weren't Christians, they probably still loved you, right? At least to a degree. Like maybe they weren't the best, but they probably still loved you. And there were still times or seasons of peace, right? And there were still times where where even the 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 worst of people in the world still exercise some kind of self control. So so just being able to practice these things doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit's in you. But the type of love, the type of peace, the type of self-control that, that is produced in a Christian is one that exceeds the law or exceeds the world. Jesus put it like this. He said, you know, even sinners love those who love them. Even sinners love those who, who love them and praise them and give to them. But, but the Christian, and I'm paraphrasing here, but the Christian even loves his enemy. The Christian loves those who don't love them. See, this is the type of love that's produced by the Holy Spirit. Everyone experiences peace when there's no chaos. And, and people pursue peace by eliminating chaos. But the peace that's found through the Holy Spirit is not a peace in the absence of chaos, but peace in the midst of chaos. Your world might be falling down all around, but you have the peace of Jesus Christ in your heart, knowing that he is in control of all things. This week, I had the joy of, of, of reading through uh, chapter 4 of the book of Mark with my son and daughter. One of my favorite stories, I mean, they all are, but one of my favorite favorites is the story of Jesus being on, on the boat and there being a storm and the, and the disciples freaking out. Chapter 4, book of Mark. Jesus is going to sail across a lake. He's going to, it's a huge lake. It's not like our own lake. It's a huge lake. He's got to sail across it. He's got the disciples with him, his 12 main men, Peter, James, John, and all the rest. They're all there with him. And then there's a storm, a good storm. These were fishermen. These were men of the sea. They knew a storm when it came. They weren't just tossed to and fro by any, you know, by drizzle. Or fog. I mean, this was a real storm, and the boat was taking in water. Where's Jesus? He's asleep. Under, in the bottom of the boat, he's sleeping. It says that his head's on a pillow, it's on a cushion. He's resting because he's tired. He's been preaching and ministering and, 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 and healing all day long. And he's sleeping in the midst of the storm. And the disciples freak out Oh, Jesus! Did you, do you want us to die? Do you want us to just sink in the middle of the sea? Do, do, is this the end result? Is this why we became fishers of men? So we could literally go into the sea and fish for whatever? Jesus gets up. He rebukes the storm. Like, it's, like he's going to get the mail. He just gets up, hey, storm, quit it. And it stops. And then he turns to the disciples. Now, a lot of people read this story and they're like, yeah, I read this story and go, oh, man. This is like when your mom had to talk to you. This is like when the dad had to take you aside and teach you a lesson. Jesus turns, after rebuking the storm, he turns to the disciples and he rebukes them. And he says something to the effect of, where's your faith? What's wrong with you? I'm in the boat with you. Do you think it will sink with me in it? And the disciples were like, oh, yeah, we're idiots. What in the world? He calmed the sea, and then he yelled at us. You see, 
if you can go through one of two things, a storm or being rebuked by Jesus, I'm going to pick the storm every day. I do not want Jesus turning to me, asking me, where is your faith? I'm going to exercise my faith in Christ. I'm going to have peace in the midst of a storm, not because there is no storm, but because I have Jesus with me in the boat. I'm not going to freak out and try to abandon ship because things are getting hard. I'm going to buckle down and I'm going to get wet and I'm going to, it's going to be scary, but I'm going to be with Jesus. That's, the, that's having peace in the midst of chaos. That's the peace that the Holy Spirit produces. Not just peace because nothing's going on. That's easy. Bills are paid. Kids aren't sick. Parents aren't crazy. You and the wife aren't arguing. Oh, peace of the Lord. Yeah, that's peaceful. But what about when all those things fall apart? Can you still have peace? Yes, through the Holy Spirit. But how do we get there? That's the key. I can preach about that all day long without telling you how to get there. How do we get there? We crucify the flesh. How do we crucify the flesh? Verse 24, first, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Go back to verse 16. But I say walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Here's what we have to do. We have to identify first in us what is the desire of the flesh and what is the desire of the Spirit. Now we know from the list that we were given that if we are desiring something on the bad list, that is the flesh. That if we are desiring to be sexually immoral, that if we are desiring things like pornography or adultery or whatever, that these are wrong. Paul even goes as far as to say these will not inherit the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. You have to identify the desire that I'm having right now. Is it of God or is it of my flesh? And the worst time to do that is in the moment where you're being tempted. The best time to do that is when you're not being tempted. If you're tempted by pornography, the worst time to try to figure out which side you're on is in the middle of that battle. At that point, you've got to have your side committed to or you're going to perish. Maybe maybe you're trying to decide fits of anger or you know or not and you're in the, you're about to explode. It's too late. When you're when you're in a place where there's relative peace and calm, you got to ask yourself, okay, Am I being angry for the right reason? Maybe it's after the after the fact. Was that was I being angry for the right reason or was I being angry because I'm foolish or selfish or prideful? Am I being angry because because I'm I'm being immature, not getting what I want? He's, we crucify the flesh by identifying what is of the flesh first. And once we can determine that then we can not gratify it, not give in to it. We can see it as a battle and now fight against it through the Holy Spirit. Don't, don't try to practice a strong will. A strong will is just pride cloaked in religiousness. Strong will is just, is just you and your best efforts trying to build a real shoddy house on a really weak foundation. But go to the Lord and say, Lord, these are the desires of my heart. Please change them. See, crucifying the flesh begins with identifying and then comes through surrendering. 
Lord, this is what I want, but I know it's wrong. I know it's not what you want. I need your supernatural, extra, outside of me help to get through this. This is the plan laid out by Paul in this book, the book of Galatians, the book of Romans, the book of Ephesians. He is continuously teaching and preaching these, this to the groups and the churches that he goes to. Not, not just clean yourself up, not just find a list of stuff to do and not do, but, but identify what the flesh wants, identify what the spirit wants, and crucify that of the flesh and walk with that of the spirit. I love, I love that last verse. If we live by the spirit, we'll also keep in step with the spirit. We're teaching the children how to follow along. You know, follow behind, just walk in step. The insinuation is that when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you're not just filled, but he leads you, he's behind you, he's alongside you. That this gift that Jesus has given us in the, in the Holy Spirit is more than just a power or a vague force like something in Star Wars, but it's literally the third person of the Trinity. It is God in the Spirit. And, and, and more than just, just pulling us or pushing us, he's in us, driving us and correcting us, and rebuking us, and encouraging us, and loving us. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit gift that God has given us is a down payment. It's like a promissory note that he will return one day and come back and take us home. I look forward to, to nothing more, or, or, or I look forward to nothing like the return of Jesus. I want to remind you that one day he will return to judge the living and the dead. That today is the day of your salvation. Today is the day to give your life to Jesus. If you have not done so, and if, if you have done so in the past and it didn't stick, that's just the best way I can put it, then maybe you didn't, you didn't really do it. Because here's what I've noticed between people who love Jesus or people who serve Jesus or follow Jesus and those who don't. Their lives look completely different because one is being led by the flesh and one is being led by the Spirit. And Paul is attacking religion, and one of the dangers of religion is that it masks a really evil person and makes them look like a Christian or a Christ follower. That's why religion is so dangerous. The wolves in sheep's clothing who, who infiltrated the, 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 the church in Galatia and changed the gospel from, from the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus to things like circumcision and, and new moons and Sabbaths and, and seasonal festivities and whatever other things they can mingle into the gospel of Jesus, they came in in religion. They came in religious, and they fooled everybody, and people just added everything, and the gospel was gone. Don't be fooled into thinking that being religious is the way to go. Being religious is what kills Jesus. So now what do we do? This is the part where I call you to action. Isaiah 53 says, verse 5, But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. There's a great danger in the church today that we would worship our brokenness. And you hear it in the songs. Like every song I sang today had some mention of brokenness in it. That's, that's a trend. And that's okay 
as long as you realize that Jesus didn't come to make you just broken. He came to break you and to make you whole. He came to, to find you broken, to put you back together. He came to heal you. Open wounds are not heal, healed, healing. Open wounds mean that there's still a problem. The scars of Jesus that he still bears in his hands and feet, they're scars. They're not open wounds. He's not still bleeding. That is done and finished. And Jesus has come to heal you of your wounds, to heal you of the wounds you've inflicted upon others. Sin is the worst. Sin takes from us in every sense of the word. And it very rarely only takes from us when we commit sin. It usually hurts somebody else too. So to bring healing today, to crucify our flesh, I want us all to stand. And we're going to pray together. It does no earthly good, no spiritual good for you to simply go through the motions and allow me to pray as, as you stand there. Some of you are like, we're standing again. I went and bought new shoes so I could stand longer. I would suggest you do the same. If you can't physically, I get that. Please sit. But if you can, if you're an able-bodied able man or woman, please stand. But don't just let me pray for you. Let's step up and pray for one another and ourselves. Let's go from a place where we are spiritual children and begin to grow and mature into spiritual mighty warriors who understand the word of God, who understand that he is our God given us this word. To move from a place where we are driven by the flesh into a place where we are encompassed completely by the Holy Spirit. So that when tragedy strikes, we are the ones that stand in the midst of it. When, 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 when persecution comes, we stand because of what Jesus has done, not because of what we can do. And when we are crushed, not if, but when we are crushed by Christ, that we don't just give up, but we reach out to the one who's going to put us back together. So pray with me. Jesus, I pray with and for the people of this church. It is my privilege and honor to serve them. It is my privilege and honor to be the pastor of this place. And I want nothing more than to lead these as you lead me. To lead these folks as you lead me. Some of them are younger than me. Some are older than me. Some of them are are just different than me in every sense of the word, but we have one goal and one pursuit in mind, and that is your son, Jesus. And I pray that you would cause us to grow in such a way that, that we crucify our flesh, that we stop blaming the flesh, that we stop blaming Satan, that we stop blaming sin, and we get to business crucifying the flesh, identifying what the flesh desires, identifying what what the sinful nature of our heart wants and crucifying it by not gratifying it and by reading your word and praying and repenting and striving and enduring and persevering. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would begin to bear fruit in our lives. The joy, the peace, all of that, Lord. That 
the physical evidence externally would be seen of what has already transpired internally in our hearts. And we rebuke Satan from bringing religion, from making us self-righteous, and for tricking us into looking or sounding or smelling or feeling like a Christian. And we pursue the righteousness found only in Christ, that our identities would be found in him, that our wounds would be healed in his name. And like Paul in chapter 6 of the Galatians would say, we bear the marks of Christ on our bodies because we have been healed. Bring healing to us, Lord. We give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen.